Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. This is our fifth week here in this, in this uh, chapter, and today will kind of be a summary. The title, as we wrap this chapter up, uh, is a summary message. It's entitled, Lessons from Paul's First Trip to Europe or at least his first missionary trip to Europe, and lessons from Paul's missionary journey, bringing the gospel into Europe. In this chapter, if you'll remember with me, we studied on missions conference, the people of missions. We looked at that message from Acts 16. Then we looked at a message entitled, The Gospel Arrives to Europe, and we studied the entire chapter as Paul and Silas followed God's leading into Europe. Then uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at how to change a country. And, uh, and we saw some things from Scripture. And then last Sunday uh, was in your midnight hour. And, you know, unexpe- I preached that last Sunday, and unexpectedly there were a few people in our church that walked into some midnight hours in their lives that they didn't expect when they heard that message last week. None of us, the Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. None of us know what the day may bring forth. But we looked last week at in your midnight hour, how did Paul and Silas respond when they were at, at some of the lowest points, maybe humanly speaking, of their lives. And we looked at that last week. And if you've missed any of the messages, you can go. And usually by Monday or Tuesday, they're up on our um, website archive. Also, we have an app on the Apple and Android stores. And they're usually uploaded by Monday or Tuesday. The previous weeks, Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, are usually put up on Monday or Tuesday of the following week. And you can catch up with any of the series there if you'd like to. To, by way of review, and the review won't be very long today, but by way of, because we've been in the chapter for five weeks, by way of review, let's throw the map up there if we can, RC. And this is the map of Paul and Silas's second missionary journey. On their first missionary journey, it wasn't Paul and Silas who was the missionary, the ministry partner of Paul. It was Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas went on that first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas, they had been comrades, uh, ministry partners for decades, and then they had some dissension. And, and God d- directed them, or th- their actions directed them to split up, and God used that to multiply the gospel. And, and good people sometimes have disagreements, and so Paul and Barnabas, they split up. So Paul picks up a new ministry partner, Silas. And Paul and Silas, they start, if you look on the map, you see the word Syria there on the right-hand side, Antioch. That's the church that sent Paul and Barnabas out. That's the church that sent Paul and Silas out, the church at Antioch. And so Paul and Silas go out and they go through Tarsus, which is Paul's hometown. Then they get to Derby and Lystra. They pick up their young, Paul's young son in the faith there. What's his name, church? They picked up Timothy. They pick up Timothy there in Lystra. And now they move on. They're in, into Iconium and Antioch. And they wanted to go north or south. And God said, no, you're going to go into Europe. So when they get to Troas, they take a two-day boat journey. And uh, they stop on the island there, get across into Neapolis. And then at the very top, you see that dot that says Philippi, about 10 miles inland, that is where Acts 16 happens. It happens in Philippi. That's where when we read, in fact, we're going to turn to a few places today. Often we stay in the exact same passage today to cross-reference some things. We're going to turn to two or three places. So keep your Bible open and handy if you're on a tablet there. Follow along in these different spots. And we, we come to Philippi. This is where we're going to turn today to the book of Philippians. Whenever you read the book of Philippians, that's a letter that Paul wrote 
uh, to the church at Philippi, to these people that we're reading about where this church was started in Acts 16, the people that he had reached in Acts 16. When he came, there, he, there was no synagogue there. He just started preaching and, and talking and sharing the gospel with some ladies. And Lydia was the first convert in Europe. They began to preach the gospel. People started getting saved. They cast the demon out of that young lady. And, and her masters, her, her owners, didn't like that because she could tell fortunes and do different things. So she made them a lot of money. Now their, their cash cow was gone. They got mad at Paul and Silas. They lied about him. They, they, they gave some false accusations. And so Paul and Silas, Timothy, they end up getting beaten and thrown into jail. And they're in jail. And in, in jail, they began at midnight to pray and sing. God sends an earthquake. And, and then they end up getting released from jail. They stop and comfort the church members. And then they're going to move on. Next week, we're going to see they're going to go to Thessalonica. And they're going to plant the church at Thessalonica, where we see the letters of First and Second Thessalonians in our Bible. And so that is the story of Acts 16. I wanted you to again see kind of where we're at regionally. Today is a summary, wrapping the entire chapter up. And I want us to learn that the title is Lessons from Paul's Trip to Europe. What are some lessons we can learn as we look at this chapter as a whole? The first message in this, this chapter was much more of a Bible study. There was not a ton of application because we were walking through every verse. Today's lesson is, uh, is much more application from the things we've studied in previous weeks. What are some lessons? I'm going to give you five lessons today and uh, for us to carry with us this week. What do we learn from Paul and Silas' example on their missionary journey? Number one, keep going forward when God closes a door. Keep going forward when God closes a door. Do you see in verse number six there? Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden, you see that word there, church? Forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. That seems strange. If I want to do something good, that's, and God said, I forbid you to preach to those people up there. That's weird. Why would God close that door? That seems like a good door. Why would God close that door in my life? And, and then we see in verse number seven, and so they were come to Mysia, and they essayed to go into Bithynia. Okay, well, we'll go down here and preach. But the Spirit suffered them not. God, I'm trying to serve you. You close that door. Okay, I'm going to, you close that. I don't understand what you're doing. Why would you do those things in, in my life? Now look at verse number 10. Notice what it says. And after we had seen the vision, notice this, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. What do we see here? We see door closed, door closed. What did Paul and Silas say? We're going to keep going forward. God, you want us to go there? We're going to obey. And closed doors in our lives sometimes can be discouraging. They can be confusing. They can be disappointing. And for some, they can lead us to stop, to quit, to get discouraged. But what did Paul and Silas and Timothy do when God closed doors? They kept going. They kept preaching. They kept serving. They didn't question God. They didn't doubt God. They didn't get angry at God. Why would you close that door of ministry in my life? Why would you, why would you close that opportunity in my life? Why wouldn't you let me go there? They said, God, you, you're, you're smarter than us. You have more wisdom than us. You close that door. You close that door. It's time to walk through that door. And they kept, they kept their eyes on Christ and kept going forward. Has God closed a door that you desired in your life? May I just encourage you from the example of Paul and Silas today, don't quit. 
Don't quit on God. Don't quit on his purpose. When, when God closes a door, often we respond in exasperated frustration. Can I challenge us today? When God closes a door in our lives, instead of responding in exasperated frustration, we should respond in excited anticipation. Instead of, and here's the difference, instead of asking, what is God doing? We should ask, God, what are you going to do? One is frustration with what we think he's doing. The other is faith in what he wants to do. God, instead of asking, what are you doing? God, what are you going to do? Two very different responses. And, and I want us to, we see in this passage with Paul and Silas, when God closed a door, what did they do? They trusted him. They moved forward. They preached. They prayed. They encouraged others. When God closed a door, what did they do? They did all of those things. But now here's the, here's the juxtaposition. When God opened the door of the prison. Do you remember when God opened the door? And God miraculously opened a door for them, a door of opportunity. What did Paul and Silas do when God opened a door in their lives? They trusted God. They moved forward. They preached. They prayed. They encouraged others. Their response was the same in times of clarity and in times of confusion. No matter what God was doing in their lives, what did they do? They trusted him, they walked forward, they preached, they prayed, they encouraged others, and they served people. God closed the door. Our response is the same as when God opened the door. God, we don't know what you're doing. We're going to serve you faithfully. God, you've shown us we're going to Europe. We're going to serve you faithfully. God, you put us in jail. We're going to serve you faithfully. God, you, you helped us to escape out of jail. We're going to serve you faithfully. Keep moving forward when God closes a door. What's the next lesson we've seen from our, our month-long study in this chapter? Number two, keep praying and praising when pain enters your life. I talked about this a good bit in the last two weeks, so I don't have to spend a long time here, but notice verse number 23. We studied this last Sunday, verse 23. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, that's being beaten, that's pain. They cast them into the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in stocks, pain, confusion, despair, frustration. Verse 25, would you read it aloud with me? Acts 16, verse 25, ready, begin. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. We talked about this the last two weeks, but church family, I want to say it again, don't lose your joy or your song when God's will doesn't look like you thought it would. Don't lose your joy or your song when God's will doesn't look like you thought it would. Keep praying and praising when pain enters your life. Charles Spurgeon powerfully said, any fool can sing in the day. It is easy to sing when we can read the notes by daylight, but the skillful musician is he who can sing when there is not a ray of light to read by. Songs in the night come only from God. They are not in the power of men. Number one, keep going forward when God closes the door. Number two, keep praying and praising when pain enters your life. Number three, keep encouraging others when you've been, been mistreated. Keep encouraging others when you've been mistreated. Verse 28, would you read verse 28 with me aloud? Acts 16, verse 28, ready, begin. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Who's he talking to there, church? He's talking to the jailer. Who had mistreated him? The jailer. Who was the one responsible for his pain and captivity? The jailer. 
Who had put stocks on him? Bonds, chains, the jailer. Who put him into the inner prison? The jailer. Maybe who was a part of the the beating and the whipping and the scourging? The jailer. And Paul cried with a loud voice, don't hurt yourself. Because when when they had escaped from prison, the jailer was like, I'm dead. I'm, I'm going to die because I let these prisoners get out. And what happened? Even by those he had been mistreated by, he didn't respond with revenge. The very one who represented those who had mistreated him. Human wisdom says, what do we say in our society? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on... Ever heard that before? What does that say? Mistreat me once, I'll let it go. Do it a second time, we're done. Hurt me a second time, and for some of us, it's hurt me a first time and I'm done, but hurt me a second time, and we say in our society, human wisdom says, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. I shouldn't have let you, I shouldn't have let you have a second opportunity to hurt me a second time. After that first time, I should have cut you out of my life. What does godly wisdom say? Jesus said it this way, if, if he hits you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. Don't just get hurt once, let him hurt you a second time. What? If he asks you to walk one mile, go how many? Go within 20. If he asks for your coat, give him your cloak also. I want you to see it. Hold your hand here in Acts 16. I want you to see an amazing, some amazing teaching by Christ to his disciples. Matthew chapter number 18. Matthew 18. Hold your hand there in Acts 16. And, and let's go over to, uh, to Matthew 18. Jesus teaching his disciples again. Human wisdom says, once you hurt me once, I'm done. And, and you fool me once, that's on you. You fool me twice, that's on me because I should not have given you the chance to hurt me another time. Matthew 18, verse number 21. Notice this. Matthew 18, a familiar passage for some. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord... How oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? So in our society, it's really one time you're allowed. You get one, one chance. And, and in their society, in, in those days, uh, 2,000 years ago, their society, it was considered noble to forgive somebody three times. At that point, you were kind of justified. That person just is who they are. I'm not going to, they're going to mistreat me that many. And again, I'm not talking about staying in an abusive situation. I'm not talking about staying in somewhere where you're being criminally mistreated. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where somebody does something, says something, handles something in a wrong way, and we completely cut them out of our lives. And Peter comes to Jesus, I think, I don't know this for sure, but I think when Peter came, he was feeling pretty good about himself because three was the, the society standard, cultural standard. And he comes, the way I pictured, again, I could be wrong, the way I pictured is, Jesus, now, now help me out here. I've heard you talk about this thing of if, if he hits you on one side and turn your other cheek. and I've heard that stuff. But if someone sins against me, someone hurts me, how many times really should I forgive them? How many times? Until seven times? Like, you know that's tw- more than twice as many as is normal. In co- like, as a Christian, I'm going above and beyond. I'm going the extra mile. Not only three times, not only six times, until seven times. That's a lot. Seven times, that's, that's pretty heavy there. Until seven times. And, and notice what Jesus responded in verse 22. Would you read it aloud? Matthew 18, verse 22. Ready? Begin. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, 
but until 70 times 7. That's, that's like a lot. It's been a while since I was in school, but that's like 490 times if my multiplication skills are still working. Until 70 times 7, what is Jesus saying? The Christian is supposed to be the one that forgives. And again, not talking about that, that, that if, if, if there's a child in a situation or, a, or in a marriage or in a church even or wherever it might be, in a, in a, in a company, at a school where there's abuse, that's, that's not what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying is if someone does you wrong, forgive. What did, what did Paul say to the church at Ephesus? Ephesians 4 verse 32, and be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another. And then he puts the little caveat on there, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You want to know how much you should forgive those that hurt you as, as much as Jesus has forgiven you when you've sinned against him. And what do we see from Paul and Silas? Keep encouraging others even when you've been mistreated. Uh, Jesus then in this passage, you can go back to Acts in chapter number uh, 16. Jesus goes on in that passage in Matthew to give the parable of the two servants, the two debtors, the one that owed very little and was forgiven at all. And then, I'm sorry, owed a lot and was forgiven at all. And then the one that, that, he, that someone owed him just a little and he wouldn't forgive it. He goes on to tell that story. And what is he saying? You've been forgiven everything. Surely you can forgive that little bit that someone has done wrong to you. Don't hold bitterness. Don't seek revenge. Don't try to destroy their lives. Paul could have let that jailer kill himself. And humanly speaking, he would have been justified. But he yelled with a loud voice, don't hurt yourself. C.S. Lewis wrote, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one. He says here, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, your heart will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. What is that phrase saying there? Be careful. Sometimes when we get hurt by someone, we put a wall up and we say, I'm done serving God. I served God and that person hurt me. I'm done loving. That happened there, and I can never trust a teacher again. I can never trust a pastor again. I can never trust a husband again. I can never trust a friend again. I can never trust a parent again. I'm done with all of that, but what do we see with Paul and Silas? When they had the opportunity to let someone that had hurt them hurt themselves, they said, we can't do it. Keep encouraging others even when you've been mistreated. People hurt us and we put up a wall. Keep encouraging. People mistreat you, hurt you, lie about you. Keep loving, keep giving, keep encouraging. Number four, number four, keep serving when opposition comes. Keep serving when opposition comes. I love the persevering and serving spirit of liberty in the midst of, of the circumstances of 2020. 
Notice what it says in, in, in verse number 30. And they brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. Verse 33, And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. That's the jailer washing the wounds of Paul and Silas, the prisoners, and was baptized. He and all his straightway, they immediately got baptized there. What happened? Even after opposition had come, people had lied about them. People had mistreated them. People had wrongfully thrown them into jail. People had wrongfully beaten them. They had physical scars. They had, they had personal scars. They had hurt. They had pain. They had, what did they do? They kept serving even after the opposition came in their lives. We're not going to be done telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. We're gonna, and this jailer is going to get saved. And now the whole jailer's family is going to get saved. And now they're all going to get baptized. And they're eating a meal in the jailer's house with the jailer. Why? Because they were willing to serve even when opposition came. When Paul and Silas got put in the jail, you know what Paul could have said? Was, was Paul, remember going back into Acts, was Paul in prison during his first missionary journey? Yes or no? Talk to me. Sure. Well, have the disciples been, been in prison already for following Jesus in the last few decades when this was written, last couple decades? Yes. And you know what Paul could have said? Okay, God, I tried it for a few years. I'll serve you again, but I just got to let you know, if I find my way to prison again, I'm done. Like, that's the last straw. If you want someone to preach your word, I'll do it. I'll go anywhere. I'll go to Europe. I'll go to Macedonia. But if you really want me to preach, you got to just let me preach under my conditions, my terms. I'll serve you. But there's got to be some level of comfort, peace, safety for me to, to be able. Paul could have said all of those things. And haven't we said some things like that before? We're not careful. Paul could have said, I'm done with this following Christ stuff. Now I'm in jail again. All I did was try to help some ladies by the river in Europe. I don't even want to be in Europe. I didn't choose to come here. God, I followed you, and this is where it led me. I, if, Silas, if I get out of here, I'm not telling anybody ever else about Jesus again. Enough is enough. We all have our limits. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. None of us, humanly speaking, would have faulted Paul for feeling that way. I, who knows, I get beaten one more time like that, I may die. We wouldn't have faulted Paul, but was that Paul's spirit even in the slightest? Oh, no. God, I got beaten, I got in prison, now you've shown victory. Guess what? I'm going to go help the jailer and his family. I'm going to keep serving in spite of the opposition that's come our way. And by the way, if you will keep serving in the midst of opposition, there are rewards waiting for you on the other side of that service. Look at verse 34. Look at verse 34, if you will. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Think about what that was like. Again, don't just read a verse. Put yourself in the story. Paul is sitting there at the jailer's house, and it's, he's got to be kind of like that. you believe we, we're here? Can you believe this? I can't believe this. Like, I don't believe this is happening in my life. I'm sitting here with the jailer. He's now a believer. His whole family is. We're rejoicing. Paul might be teaching them a new song. Who knows what they're talking about. In the middle of the night, they just got out of jail. And there are rewards and rejoicing for staying faithful in the midst of opposition. Hold your hand here and go about two chapters over. Acts chapter number 20. I want you to see it. Acts chapter number 20, verse number 19. Paul is now a little further down the road. He's, he's had a few more rewards and a few more uh, victories and a few more defeats at this point. Acts 20, verse number 19. We'll get here in a few weeks. Acts 20, verse number 19. Serve, Paul's talking here. He's talking about, you know how I've been serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears. It's been some pain. With temptations which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews. I've had some struggles, some opposition. 
how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and privately from house to house. I've given everything I have to you, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks, preaching to everybody, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit, I'm following God's leading, unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. I want you to get the picture. Paul's giving them, as he's writing, a little testimony. He's writing to some people that, and talking to some people that, that he had already ministered to. And he says, you know my spirit. You know how I've ministered. You know who I am. You know that I've served you sincerely. I've loved you. I've been hurt, but I keep serving. Now notice what he says in verse 23. And he says, I don't know what's going to happen when I get to Jerusalem. I don't know what's waiting for me. Verse 23, the word says save, which just simply means accept. This is the, I don't know anything that's happening except, here's what I know. That the Holy Ghost witnesseth, verse 23, in every city, saying that what, church? What are the next three words? What? Bonds and, what is it? Bonds and afflictions abide me. I don't know what serving God's going to look like, he says. Here's the only, I, I do know one thing. It's going to look like pain and opposition sometimes. I don't know all that God's going to do. I know he has more in store over there, but the Holy Spirit has shown me that I know if I follow him where I'm supposed to go, he has shown me great victories and great rejoicing and great miracles. I've seen awesome things serving God. And by the way, it's, it's the most wonderful life in all the world to serve God for a lifetime, to stay faithful. And I haven't done that yet, but, but for the 30-some years that I've been trying to follow God, it's the most wonderful life in all the world, but it's not always the most easy life in all the world. And Paul here says, he says, I'm going over there to Jerusalem. God's, God's sending me there. I don't know what's coming. The only thing I do know that's coming is pain is coming. And then I want you to see it. Read it aloud, nice and loud. Verse 24, ready? Begin. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. What did Paul say here? I'm all, none of these things, what? Bonds and afflictions move me. Why? So that I might finish my course with joy. I'm gonna keep serving even when opposition comes. People you serve will sometimes oppose you, misunderstand you, mistreat you, malign you. Keep serving. People you love will sometimes leave you, lie about you, and seek to lead others to do the same. Keep loving people. People you help will sometimes take advantage of you, turn on you, and close you out of their lives. Keep helping people. Don't quit. And then lastly, keep standing when conforming would be easier. What do we learn from Paul and Silas in this chapter? Keep standing when conforming would be easier. Look at verse 35, please. Let's wrap this up. Verse 35, and when it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeant saying, let those men go. Hey, let Paul and Silas, we, we shouldn't have put them in prison. They were Romans. We didn't have any right. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. I think he was excited. Paul, good news. No trial, no anything, you're done. Charges are dropped. You get to go. Verse 37, but Paul said unto them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison, and now do they thrust us out privily or privately? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. 
And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans, and they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. Look at verse 40. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia, the first convert in Europe. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them, and then they departed. Now this could seem like this is just a pride thing. Paul gets the message, you guys are free to go, go in peace. You're, you're not, you don't have any fear of conviction anymore, any sentence coming to you. And Paul says, absolutely not. They did us wrong. They need to come make it right. It could seem like Paul was basically fighting for his pride. He was, he was mad and he was going to make them grovel at his feet. That's not the case. Paul was standing for what is right for the sake of these new believers in this young baby Philippian church. You see, because Paul was the one that brought the gospel to Europe, Paul was the one that led these people to Christ. This is where the brethren were now gathering at Lydia's house. And had Paul and Silas tucked tail and ran, it would have looked like to the public that could be your, uh, that could be your fate as well. You follow this same Jesus, look what happened. Your leader didn't even, he got out of town with nobody knowing, and because he was scared to death, what might come? And very possibly, this young church never would have become grounded and solid. They would have been living scared and keeping their faith to themselves. But Paul and Silas said, no, we're going to let them, know. they're going to let everybody know they were in the wrong, we weren't. Christians shouldn't have anything to fear serving God in this town, and we're going to show that. And so they said, no, they put us in wrong. They, they made a public spectacle of us going in. They're going to make somewhat of a public spectacle of us going out. They, they need to come get us. And so those that had put them in came, and instead of Paul and Silas tucking tail and running, these guys had to kind of tuck their tails and say, we were wrong. Paul and Silas, do what you need to do in our city. You're welcome here. You can do what you need to do. These people that you serve, they, they weren't under the fear of persecution at that point. That was what Paul and Silas were standing for. And they go and they go over to the house and they comfort them and they say, hey, it's going to be okay. Keep following Jesus. God is powerful. He's, he'll take care of you. Hey, keep reaching people for the Lord here. They go in verse number 40. They, they had seen the brethren. They comforted them and then they departed. And then next week we're going to move over into chapter 17 as they go to Thessalonica. But what do I see here with, with, in, in this last few verses? Paul and Silas could have done what was easy. What would have been easy was self-preservation. We got out of jail. Let's go. Let's, let's blow this joint. Let's get out of this town. Never see it again. What do we learn from Paul and Silas? Don't do what is easy, Christian. Do what is right. Don't do just what would benefit you personally. Do what would benefit the work of God and the cause of Christ. It may not be popular in our day and age and in this society, but, but, do, but live for what is right, not what is popular. What was the result of this short visit to Philippi and the example of Paul and Silas and Timothy and to some extent Luke? I want you to turn, last place we'll turn, Philippians 4. I want you to see what, what came of these people that they comforted and then left. Philippians chapter number 4, just a few books over. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, a little four-chapter book, a little four-chapter letter that Paul wrote to these folks. Philippians chapter number four, he writes a letter back to this group of believers and some others that had joined them. What grew out of what Paul and Silas left behind? What grew out of it was a beautiful, believing, generous, blessed local church. I want you to see it as Paul closes his letter in Philippians four as I close my message. Philippians four and verse 10. 
But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. You're a caring, serving, generous church wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. You did your best, but sometimes you didn't know how to help me. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I'm not saying this to butter you up because I need gifts. I know both how to be abased, brought low, that is. I know how to abound, be, be blessed. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I, I can be content wherever God places me with, with Christ's power in me. Verse 14, notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, when I left you, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, the next place Paul's going to go, you sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit. When we give, God, it's fruit that abounds to our account, that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. By the way, when we give things in God's name, it's not just the person we're giving to, but God receives that offering. Notice verse 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. What do we see here? This relationship, this church that came, this relationship between Paul and these Christians, we see a beautiful, generous, spiritually mature, loving, caring, serving body of believers. How does that happen? That happens by some people doing some of the things we've studied in this chapter. And it's a reminder, you, when you read the end of chapter 4, it's a reminder that God has great blessings for those who stay faithful. When you read Philippians 4, verses 10 through 19, that's hard to see that fruit in the prison cell in Philippi. It's hard to know that this rejoicing is coming when it seems like all the doors have closed. But when you stay faithful and serve God and love people, what a blessing and a reward for Paul to see that his labor and his love was not in vain. God will honor and bless you and I when we seek to live these lessons from Paul's first missionary trip to Europe. So many wonderful truths in this chapter. We spent five weeks in it. We could easily spend another five probably. Next week, we'll move into Acts 17. But this week, I want you to ponder these lessons. Which one is for you? Keep going forward when God closes a door. Keep praying and praising when pain enters your life. Keep encouraging others when you've been mistreated. Keep serving when opposition comes. And keep standing when conforming would be easier. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.